Rockers. Welcome to Hoosier Illusion, hosted by me, Neil Tafflinger, and Ryan J. Downey, two grown-up hardcore punks, longtime journalists, and longtime friends born and bred in Indianapolis, Indiana. After growing apart, we're reuniting to talk about who we were, who we are, and where we're going. Follow along as we navigate the rugged terrain of our mental landscapes, littered with pop culture, subculture, and the odd reference to Johnny Ringo, James Dean, Axl Rose, and other notable Hoosiers. My mom is is essentially retired now, and she has asked me and my wife to help her, you know, survey the next two, two and a half decades, three decades of her life and figure out what she wants to do, how to fund it, etc. Um, she's been on her own since the mid-90s when my dad moved out. She had some health problems that kind of caused a spiral of employment problems and she's not set up as well as I'd like her to be for uh, retirement. So we're trying to sort some stuff out. So the day after my birthday, a um, couple weeks ago, we're having lunch with my mom at our house and we're just kind of talking about different options, um, different things she could do, different things she wants to do, you know, trying to figure out what you want to do is the hard part. And then, you you make the math work. And if the math doesn't work, you do something else. So as a result of that conversation, I felt like I needed to talk to my aunt. Here's the catch. My mom has not spoken to my aunt since 2001. I have not interacted with my aunt since the same year, and that was via snail mail. I've not seen my aunt in person since 1995. And does your aunt also live in Indianapolis? No, she lives in the metro D.C. area, and she works for the federal government. She's worked for the federal government my entire life. And how many siblings does your mom have? Two. She has an older sister and an older brother who is a year older than her older sister. So there's one one year and three year that separate the three siblings. And where was the brother and the communicating, not communicating chain with his two sisters who aren't speaking. <laughs> um, my uncle lived in the family house in Metro Buffalo, New York. He interacted with my aunt regularly. My mother has not spoken to him since 1995. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, neither my uncle nor my aunt ever married, neither have children. As far as I know, my mom and her brother and sister were uh, only living relatives. So I do, you know, like an online white pages search for my aunt. I find out that she's living in the same condo that she was living in the last time I saw her. Um, same landline phone number. Uh, God bless the upper end of boomers who are not... Uh, cutting any cords in their house at all. 
So I called her, and it was a little nerve-wracking because, number one, I haven't interacted with her in 20 years. I didn't know how she'd respond to me calling her. And I knew I'd have to talk to my mom about it afterwards, which made me tense because my mom hasn't talked to her since 2001. And they've had plenty of opportunity to, but they've chosen not to. And because of the way my mom is, I thought that there might be some emotional fallout uh, as a result of my decision to reach out to her sister sort of without telling her, asking permission, looping her in, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. So I call my aunt and it was a great conversation and she was really curious about my family and she was really, she was, her spirit was generous in a way that uh, took me off guard. And it's, it reminded me how much I missed her because you know, she has a very – she is not uh, warm or affectionate in a way that that most people would recognize. She's a scientist. Uh, she sort of has an engineer's brain. So, More of a Mr. Spock type affection? <laughs> kind of. But but she is once, – once she's comfortable, you know, like I, I remember she, she cared very much for my sister and I. And I think it I think it's bothered her a lot that she fell out of contact with us or chose not to be in contact with us, however you want to frame it. And she was really interested in my kids, who she didn't know existed. Uh, she was wow. interested in my wife, who she didn't know existed. So that was kind of a that was kind of a wild 30, 40 minute phone call. And my intention, I was on the road uh, driving to visit my dad and his wife where they live in Kentucky now. And. My plan was to talk to my mom the following day and kind of give her the download on what I found out, what we talked about, etc. The next day was spent with my dad and his wife and the kids and just doing stuff. And there wasn't a good moment for me to stop and have an emotionally fraught phone conversation with my mom. So who also hasn't spoken to my father since he left in 1995 and gets visibly tense when I mention him by name, which I didn't do for a good 15 years after he moved out in her presence. Wow. So, so his silence is a defining feature of some of my family relationships. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't ask, don't tell of one's existence. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's silence is used to comfort. Silence is used to punish. Um, silence is used to hide. It's, Silence is important. So uh, could one yeah. one might say silence can be violence. <laughs> uh, one might say that this process for me is the end of silence. <laughs> now that's bringing us full circle. Yeah, and I'm not a liar. Which, by the way, I don't think we even got to that part of the story last time. No, we're gonna. It's gonna be like twelve episodes deep when we actually talk about how we became friends. Indeed. So. I don't find a chance to talk to my mom because I just because I'm tense about it and I you know I, I need to like gear up to do it. So I'm like, okay, I'm driving back to Indianapolis, you know, the following day. I'll call her. It'll be fine. Whatever. 7 a.m. on Sunday morning, I get a phone call from my aunt, who says, "Your uncle passed away in his sleep last night." And essentially, can you tell your mom? So my talk, talk head, about timing, by the way, that you had <laughs> even just reconnected 
Yes. I mean, so that's crazy. Friday afternoon at like 3 p.m. Now, for clarification purposes for our dear listeners and for myself, when you say uncle, you mean your mom's brother? My mom's brother, my aunt's brother. I mean, that's that adds, adds an extra layer of, you know, <laughs> if it were like uncle by marriage, it would still be crazy, but... Yeah, so Blood relative. on, I mean, that's on Friday at 3 p.m., I reconnect with my aunt, who I've been estranged from for 20 years. Sunday morning, she calls me to tell me that my uncle, who I've been estranged from for more than 20 years, almost 25 years, has died, and asks me to tell my mother. So that conversation in my head sets up like this. Hi, Mom. Your older brother's dead, and I found out because I talked to your sister, who you haven't spoken with in 20 years. So that phone call was made, and it sucked and was awkward, and uh, I felt like I was just punching my mom in the face, and she sort of reacted as if I had. Um, it was a very short conversation, and she basically said she didn't want to talk about it at that moment. She had something else she needed to do and she was going to go do that. So I said, okay, I'll call you later. I go to her house that night and I learn a surprising amount um, about her relationship with her older sister and older brother and why there hasn't been contact and why, why things turned out the way they did for him, for her sister, for her, what unfolded over the course of that Sunday between when my aunt called me and when I saw my mom and then again after I saw my mom was a series of phone calls with my aunt where it became clear that I was now the proxy communicator for the both of them. Yeah, so my boy. aunt was, yeah, my aunt was calling me to tell me what she needed to know about my mom's wishes for handling of the remains uh, burial arrangements, etc. And my mom was kind of like, whatever, you know, like she wasn't even committing to going to any sort of interment. But interestingly enough, as soon as my son, who's eight and a half, as soon as he found out that a relative had died, he told me that he wanted to, he wanted to be at the burial. And I asked him why, and he said it's because he'd never gotten a chance to meet him. So, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As if you needed another anvil dropped into your chest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I felt like Wile E. Coyote a lot in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> so I tell my mom, which is another intense thing, that, you know, hey, I know you're dealing with all this stuff. Also, by the way, I've already told my aunt that I'm coming to the burial with my son. And I'm more than happy to take you, but if you don't want to go, you don't have to. And if you don't want to talk to your sister, you don't have to, but I'm going to because I want a relationship with her again, which was kind of a big thing for me to say out loud because I didn't know if it was going to hurt my mom's feelings. So she ended up deciding because I was going with my son that she would go too, as much to support us as to be there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, her position was that whatever closure she was going to have wasn't going to come 
with the interment of cremains uh, at a family burial plot. So fast forward week and a half, almost two weeks, and at this point the the the, the traveling uh, the traveling circus has expanded to include my entire family, which is myself, my wife, and three children, ages eight, five, and. 10 months which a road trip like that for a fun reason is <laughs> arduous enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh and it, it went surprisingly well but yeah it's, it's a little bit of a shit show just trying to like stop for bathroom breaks so we all pile in the minivan we arrive in the west virginia panhandle where my mom's family is from it's it's the ancestral home and it's not hyperbole to say ancestral because my maternal grandmother, my mom's mom, was like a genealogist in retirement. Well, she was a homemaker, but at, toward the end of her life, she spent a lot of time doing genealogy. And she can literally trace the families on my mom's side back to that area to the decades preceding the Revolutionary War. Wow. Um, so my people have essentially been in this area since like the 1750s. Where did those people hail from prior to that? Oh, um, they were German and Swiss and Ulster Scott. I think the predominant strains of my family, there's like several generations where all the men are German and all the women are Ulster Scots. Um, and if people listening don't know what an Ulster Scot is, uh, they are protestant scots who lived in northern ireland they are also the people who became rednecks in america uh, <laughs> they they came across the cumberland gap and populated appalachia down to the deep south and brought their violent tribal ways with them the and i'm sure as soon as this publishes i'm going to get some email from you know <laughs> some history sophisto critiquing my summary of of the Ulster scott we can we can put a correction in show notes some somebody whose identity politics are really tied into the yeah. origins of rednecks yeah i'm i'm going to i'm going to google whoever emails us and they're going to be like from identity europa um, <laughs> so so you know we're we're 20 miles uh, from Pittsburgh. Um, I think we're essentially like in Zayo country. And, <laughs> yes. Um, also uh, Dawn of the Dead, George Romero country. So uh, we roll up on this Holiday Inn, and on a Thursday evening, we settle into the hotel room. We walk back out in the hallway to go get dinner, knock on uh, another door in the hallway, and my aunt opens the door, and we're face to face with my aunt for the first time since '95. Uh, you know, my wife sees her maybe for the first time ever. I don't know that we have any pictures of her um, in my house. My kids see her for the first time ever. She sees my kids for the first time ever. She sees her sister for the first time since the early 2000s, um, and maybe even before that. They might not have actually been in the same place since my grandfather was buried in '95. So. That was just a lot, and uh, we all had dinner together, and we're having conversation, and my aunt's like talking to my kids and asking questions, and she's talking to my mom, and we end up, my mom and my aunt and I end up talking for a little bit after after dinner about everything. The details of the end of my uncle's life, the last two or three years, 
were a little unsettling. He died without a will. He died without power of attorney. He died essentially a recluse. And uh, there's potentially a huge mess to clean up uh, in probate court and then, you know, just lots of paperwork and letters and filling out forms. Uh, and we just had to talk about who was going to do that and et cetera, et cetera. And that conversation was really revealing because I got to see why my mom and my aunt didn't talk for 20 years in real time, in person. And also I got to see things that I don't like about myself and where they came from. Mm. And, but at the same time, I, I was, I was observing them as an outsider. It was like, it was like I was on the spectral plane, just sort of watching everything that was happening, not taking bait, not getting upset, not getting frustrated, just accepting these two women as they are because they're not going to change dramatically in their early and mid seventies, you know, and, and, uh, just accepting that if I'm going to have relationships with either of them, which I want to both of them, and I want to be involved in this process of helping sort out my uncle's affairs, because, you know, again, my aunt, even if she's the sole executor, she's in her mid seventies and she lives in Metro Maryland, Metro, uh, DC actually. And, uh, she needs help with it. So I basically made myself available much to the, uh, surprise and confusion of my sister who lives in the UK and is not involved in any of this. That was my next question actually was where yeah. she fits in, but I didn't want to complicate it any further if we didn't need to. No, I'm, I'm, I'm the de facto executor for my mom. I think I'm already a signatory on some of her accounts because just in case, but you know, my dad moved out when I was, when I was in high school, my sister was in college. I joke that my sister wouldn't get involved even if she lived here and she doesn't live here because she doesn't want to be here. So, you know, she, as soon as college was over, she fucked off to California and then she fucked off to the UK. And with the exception of a few years of her daughter's life, uh, when she lived with, uh, near my dad in uh, Arizona, when he was there, she hasn't lived in the States, I think for more than a decade, hmm. at least not. She hasn't lived here for, more than a handful of years. So she's just sort of, you know, watching this from afar and wondering why I'm choosing to do this emotional labor. Um, but I think that I'm just accepting of who they are and where they are and accepting of their, their strengths and limitations. You know, this, this, this sounds maybe more extreme or, or insulting, but it's like if they had a physical, limitation it would be normal to be patient with them and to be kind and be generous and gentle mm -hmm. if they have an emotional limitation why shouldn't i give them the same uh grace you know yeah. um just because i can't see it just because other people can't see it doesn't mean it's not there so i think i just I saw an opportunity to help heal something and without being a martyr about it or feeling responsible, it just felt like something I could do, you know, like 
they, I, you know, it's no skin off my nose to, to pass a message to my mom, you know, like that's fine. Normally I, I hate tri- triangulating between people because I think it enables, you know, poor communication skill. Sure. In this case, it's like if they're not able to do it, I think they both, they, I'll put it this way. I think they both want something that they don't know how to do on their own. So if I can help facilitate it, then why not? Especially when it, it hurts less than not doing it, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. uh, the, the, any pain that's incurred by, by being a go between, between my aunt and my mom is far less than the pain I've experienced from being estranged from my mom's family since I was 16. Nice Hoosier illusion reference there. Yeah. The reason this sort of uh, crosses over with mid-90s Neil is that my mom brought some pictures on the trip, um, and she sat up front in the van, and my wife sat in the back with our son. We drove to West Virginia on Thursday. The interment of his remains was Friday morning. We had an early lunch with my aunt, and then we drove back on Friday. He went in the ground, and we were we were gone. But I hadn't been to that cemetery since my grandfather was buried in 95. My grandma had been de- had died in 89, so I'd been there twice, basically. My mom was showing me a picture that someone took at my grandfather's burial back then. And I realized that it was like the me in that picture was was the very early stage vegan straight edge me. Mm-hmm. I realized that that trip took place after my dad left, which was, I think, 94, fall of 94. So that period of like 94, 95 was, looking back on it, I think it it makes sense now. And I, I might have realized it in real time, but not to the extent that I do now. There's that period of, of 94, 95 where I'd already gotten into hardcore. Like I'd, I'd already... I'd found this thing that was interesting and compelling and it it grabbed me. But within about a year or two after starting to figure out what this thing is, my, my immediate family disintegrated. And as a result, my extended family got a little bit more fragile on my dad's side. And then my mom's family essentially disintegrated my grandfather passed away and then my aunt and uncle just vanished from my life the timing for all of that is wild and and yet uh, you know as we sit here as adults it's kind of a one plus one equals two scenario that it wouldn't have been to us for many years yeah so you know that's that's by the end of 95 I mean, hardcore is many things, and one of them is certainly a surrogate family. Yeah, and I, I, that's that's what I retreated to, or I ran to. You know, by '96, I was like full on maniac. You know, all of my all of my anger, all of my sadness, like all of that shit was just like being compressed into a jet stream, uh, coming out of me all the time. Now, somewhere in there, you're uh, either being made responsible or 
making yourself responsible for the emotional well-being of all these other people who have <laughs> complex and nuanced uh, experiences with everything that's happening around them from all three of your children who are different ages and different stages of emotional development with this sort of thing. Your wife, your marriage, <laughs> your marriage to your wife as its own distinct entity, independent of the two of you, uh, your mom, <laughs> your yeah. until very recently estranged aunt, you know, at the risk of sounding like your therapist, uh, where does Neil figure into that? Because I'm sure uh, that you were shouldering, you know, what, what the swirling around with all those different people. And, 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 and really you're also the connective tissue between all of those people you know, literally and figuratively. So yeah. where do you, so where are you in that? And when do you get an opportunity to <laughs> figure out what's, what's going on with you? So in the, in the not so distant past, I spent a lot of time trying to create space for myself. So, you know, I need to find space where I can have some quiet, where I can have some personal time, where I can reflect, where I can write, where I can do yoga, where I can do whatever. I need to get away from the noise of, of my life that I've created. And what I found is that the more I learned about – the better I took care of myself, the more I learned about how to take care of myself, the less I needed to separate myself from my life to, to find contentedness or be at peace with things. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel – at least in this situation, like I need to go find a place, uh, whether it's like temporal or physical or emotional where I can like take care of myself. I feel like I'm taking care of myself in real time and I'm choosing to do things because I want to do things for specific reasons that I'm aware of in the moment. Like I don't feel like I'm acting out some sort of emotional trauma, you know, do, do I want to have my family made a little bit more whole? Well, yeah, but I don't think that that's crazy or unreasonable, but I all, you know, like I said earlier, I told my mom, I don't care if she has a relationship with her sister. That's not my thing. I want a relationship with her sister. And if that doesn't work for its own reasons, that's fine. But I think I'm past the point of feeling responsible for other people's feelings that way. Mm -hmm. I think that my mom and my aunt would be happier if they reconciled, but that's their lives, not mine. And I can't get caught up in whether they do or not. And, you know, it's like they've got their lives. They're going to make their decisions. I have enough to worry about in my own life. Now, when it comes to, my family, it's, it's a little harder because, you know, I, I think I've officially entered the sandwich generation phase of my life where, you know, I have a parent who's not elderly, but she's older. And, you know, I'm the only person around who is going to be available to help her with anything, really. So it's either pay someone to do something or call Neil. And I'm fine with that because family, you know, like yeah. it's, I, I could say no, but I don't want to, you know, I need to figure out what my boundaries are, but we haven't gotten to the point where I feel uh, put upon or overwhelmed. I, I think one interesting thing you, you definitely hit upon is the idea that you've developed the 
tools, the skills to cope in the midst of dealing with everyone else, as opposed to that being a, a separate and distinct process. I would imagine that that's a healthier way to go about it. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, my initially when this is all happening, my sister was like, why are you not pissed that like they can't handle this themselves? I was like, what is there to be pissed about? You know, like they, they are what they are. This is the situation being pissed about it. Won't make them reconcile being pissed about it. Won't change the fact that I'm able to communicate with both of them. Mm. So why, like, I just don't, I don't know. Maybe 20 years ago, five years ago, six months ago, I would have been pissed, but it just didn't occur to me. Yeah to be pissed this time or to be resentful or to feel put upon. Like I'm not trying to gain any sort of emotional leverage from this or like, you know, score good boy points to cash in later. It just, something was placed in front of me and I thought I could do something with it. So I did something with it. Where, where do you, do you have any kind of forecast of what the ripple effects will be of this unexpected upheaval and reconnecting and so on? What I expect is that I my aunt will be involved in my family's life to some extent, whether that's, you know, having dinner with us when we take the kids to the Smithsonian mm -hmm. or it's her visiting us or whatever, or even just emailing and calling periodically, talking with her. I called her after we all got home uh, on Friday night just because there's pretty shitty weather. There was a really nasty storm band going across from the Midwest to the East Coast that day and she had to basically drive with it as it was traveling so i called her just to say hey we're home safe hope you got home safe and she just sounded so happy mm -hmm. when she talked about the kids and just she just seemed like she was in a better mood than she should have been having just driven six hours through mountains in a rainstorm you know right so that made me feel good because you know, I don't know if, if we're not helping, what the fuck's the point, you know, like mm -hmm. if, if we're not, if we're not really here for each other, then this whole thing is a, a giant fucking waste of time. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so that was good. And, you know, one of the things my dad used to tell me is that, you know, we do, we do good things because they make us feel good and that's okay. So, you know, this, this whole scenario, my role in it has made me feel good and you know, I'm okay with that. That's a great way to look at something. I mean, that's it's a, a little bit of this, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar mentality. My only other expectation is that I'm expecting to find myself in Buffalo at the family home with my aunt and or my mom to sort out what remains of my uncle's estate mm. beyond that. I have no expectations and I'm trying not to have hopes. Um, but one thing I would like to see happen. And again, I'm not tying any sort of happiness to this potential outcome. I'd really like for my mom and my aunt to, be close again, or at least have a functioning relationship. Of course. They shared a bedroom growing up, and I guess they were super, super close until maybe through college into their 20s. And 
had a series of falling falling outs, I guess, throughout my life that I really wasn't privy privy to because we just didn't talk about that stuff. All I all I knew is that occasionally my aunt would disappear, and then several years later she'd reappear. Um, or my mom would mention her and then not mention her for a long time, then she'd mention her again. So I guess I would hope that now that they're both at a stage in their life where they're thinking about the end or they're thinking about how they want to leave this place, that maybe they'll be able to either work through the shit or set enough of it aside that they can at least function. As, you know, both of us being parents of multiple children, thinking about, you know, how what a heartbreaking idea it is for our kids to be estranged from one another at some point oh, in their lives. God. Yeah. I mean, I've already I've already given Zeke the stern lecture about, you know, like literally there's nothing that his sisters can do that will justify estrangement. Like yeah. <laughs> I just, I said it's at some point, hopefully the three of you will be the only people you have left of your family. And you have to honor that. Like you might drive each other batshit crazy, but honor that connection and, and work through the shit, you know, like none of this, it's harder when you're close. It's harder when you, you know, have shared bathrooms and shared, you know, the flu and shared pink eye and, and fought over the last slice of pizza and all that shit that builds up over time. All those, you know, layers of emotional sediment. It's, it's harder because all that stuff's always with you. You know, you're, you're carrying like a, a caravan of emotional baggage, mm -hmm. but, but that's why those relationships are important because no one will ever get you the way those people do, you know, my son's sisters, my girls will know each other in ways that I will never know them. Sure. Yeah. That's not something that I think you should play around with unless you really have irreconcilable differences and people do, but you know, I just, I, I just wanted to make it clear early and often that, you better be damn sure that the differences are, recon are irreconcilable because if you lose 20 years over some bullshit, you're going to regret it. The moment that really crystallized or made clear to me my motivation and, and the, the justification for anything that I'm doing in this scenario, you know, we had an early lunch because there was no – there was no third space for us to be in near the cemetery. It was like we had our cars and then we had the hotel that we checked out of and we're in this town where no one lives and we don't have any living relatives. Um, so we just went to a, a restaurant and had an early lunch so we could like sit and, and talk for an extra 30 minutes. And when my aunt got up to leave, my middle daughter just looks at her and says, I love you. Oh, man matter the day before but she's so open and it it there's no emotional cost to her to love someone to accept like this new person like oh you're okay you're part of our family now i love you and also not having all these 
self-imposed condition restraints on giving that love like oh well i'm you know giving my love is conditional on these expectations or rewards yeah and it wasn't it wasn't like a dramatic declaration it wasn't like a a plea for attention it was like almost throwaway like oh i love you bye right so that that to me is like okay the the standard has now been set for for me to live up to in in my life well that was definitely a wild couple of weeks but the hits did not stop coming for me so tune in next week because we've got more crazy coming